First off, the thing we have to understand is the kids are not all right. right? I don't know how many of you guys actually know me or have any classes or whatever, or anymore. but uh, my specialty, I've been, I've been a chiropractor since 89. Uh, I graduated here from life um, and was like totally um, not going to be a pediatric chiropractor, uh, but Dr. Webster changed my brain uh, and he morphed me into one. And Webster is the founder of the ICPA. And the reason that I got into really pediatrics is because one word is autism. Webster spoke to me and said, Drew, like, autism has become big. This is back in the late 80s, early 90s. He said, autism became really big, and we need people out there, warriors out there, taking care of these kids. And nobody knows about it, and you have to be one of them. And I'm really glad that he spoke to me like that uh, strongly because he was right. He was right. I kind of, I kind of followed his lead, and I really paid attention to him. And now it's the number one reason why I see a kid in my practice is some sort of neurodevelopmental disorder. The kids are not all right. One in five kids have a mental health disorder. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, Fifty percent of tweens and teens meet diagnostic criteria for mental health disorders. Uh, there was a recent thing that came out last year. <clears throat> Uh, that said, all kids, all kids should be screened for anxiety and depression. All kids, 100% of all teenagers should be screened for anxiety and depression. There's something really wrong with the kids these days. Where the brains that, that you guys had when you guys were that age are not the same brains as we're seeing today. So we've got to take care of these kids. And what I had come up with uh, when I spoke to Iafner about this was this. I called the other CPR. <clears throat> which is called core pupils and reflexes. Um, and if you think about like, why that's important, it's because the core isn't just, it's not about like, having six-pack abs, right? Although that certainly is nice. But that's not what it's about, right? It, it's, it's, the core signifies that your brain and your cerebellum are working together, like your prefrontal cortex and your cerebellum are working together to keep you like this. Because if you have seen enough kids like I have, and you see some of these floppy kids like this, you know that their core isn't working. Which means their cerebellum and their prefrontal cortex are not firing together, which means the base of the ganglia is not. So we talk about, you know, what Sam just talked about, having a brain-based office. This is what I promote in my practice, is a brain-based office, and I want people to get that I am not a back doctor or a bone doctor, I am a brain and nerve system doctor. That is what I do. I might use the bones as a lever, as my entry into this person or into that child or that pregnant mama, but that's not, the bone isn't where I stop, right? That's just where chiropractic starts. The nerve system is where it's at. <clears throat> so the core is absolutely in, in, in critical. Pupils are huge, eyes are huge. Most chiropractors don't check kids' eyes. Eyes are the window into their brain. The most important tool you have in your possession is this thing, a phone. You take a picture of a kid's eyes. I do it every single day in my office. I take pictures of their eyes. And how many would you say, would you think that like, of their eyes would be like this, straight ahead, both, both eyes? How many, what, what percent do you think of kids would have their eyes completely straight ahead? Yeah, I would say less than 10%. Of the kids we've seen all less than 10% of them 
have both eyes that are facing completely forward. But you won't notice this until you take pictures and start looking at the square. You won't notice this unless you start doing tracking and uh, convergence and that kind of stuff. So we'll talk about that. And then primitive reflexes. <laughs> Up until like the 1980s, primitive reflexes were only looked at in what child? Newborns. If you weren't a newborn, you didn't learn primitive reflexes. So if you're just born or a couple weeks old, let's check those reflexes. But once the child is older than a couple months old, then they're dismissed. <clears throat> but Dr. Sally Goddard Life started in the 1980s saying, I'm looking at these kids on the spectrum. I'm looking at these kids with ADHD, and they have retained reflexes. And how'd she know that? She said, what one example is, there were some kids that she was working with that had ADHD or autism, and they were easily startled. So she said, maybe they still have a moral reflex. Or the mom would say, they are really tickly in their backs and their feet. Maybe positive with scared lot reflexes. So she started testing them and found out that a lot of these kids with these neurodevelopmental neurobehavioral disorders have retained reflexes. They're not pathologic, right? We're not talking about like a pathological incident if someone has like a tumor or you know, a concussion or whatever. We're talking retained reflexes. So she said, well, if they have retained reflexes, if I get rid of these reflexes, if we extinguish them now when they're five or six or 10 or 12 years old or whatever, maybe that would help in their in our progress of working with these kids, and it did. So she wrote a book called Reflex Learning Behavior back in the late 80s, early 90s, that revolutionized how people were thinking about her reflexes. So on a first exam, as Dr. Karen Ferguson would have done this, I don't know if, if this is her approach, but on my first exam, this is the critical thing. Honestly, spine, and all that kind of stuff and posture, you certainly do that, but that is not the focal point of my exam. My exam focal point is brain and nerve system. I want to make sure everybody knows that that's what I'm looking at first. And even when there is a postural difference, it's all related to the brain. It's all related to patterns in the brain. So that's what we're going to kind of talk about a little bit today. So first off, how do we assess core? My favorite, favorite way to do it is to do it what we call a pull-to-sit test. So if you have little, if you have little Junior next to you, put Junior down like this on their back, like this, and grab, this is Sydney, by the way, so grab Sydney's hands like this, and I don't care what age, this has nothing to do with age. You do this on, I can do this on 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds. And I go like this, and I lift them up like this. Now, what should happen if you go like this, and we, we lift up together? What should happen? I heard a couple of other things in my head. What was that? Head should go first. From six months of age on, head should go, Dr. Gilles. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Oh, <laughs> so the head should go first. The head should go first. From six months of age on, the head should go first. So here's a picture. Here. Kennedy Creeper Institute from, uh, I think it's from, is it Baltimore? It's from Johns Hopkins, right? I'm pretty sure. 
uh, Kennedy Career Institute is uh, lead, led this, this study that any child whose head lags that you see here in the bottom uh, picture, any kid whose head lags like this from six months older on has a higher prediction of having autism or some sort of neurodevelopmental disorder. And you would be stunned at how many kids, 12-year-olds, 5-year-olds, 7-year-olds, who we do this with and if they have some neurodevelopmental issues with autism, you'll, even a big kid and their heads will go backwards like this instead of leading chin first. Because their brain, and to think about that, think about what that means. It means their cerebellum and their prefrontal cortex are disconnected. Wow. To see a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or a ten-year-old or a twelve-year-old not be able to do that when you lift up, when you're holding their hands, that's big. But you can't stop there, because then what you have to do is you have to test you have to test like a regular setup if they can take directions, right? Some kids are unable to take directions either A because they're too young or B because they're on the spectrum and they do not understand what you're asking them to do. But if they, you can't, so the pull to sit is easy because you can get anybody to do that because you're pulling them. But to do this, they have to be able to take directions. So you're gonna hold their, their with both hands, you're gonna hold their feet like this. And you say, okay, now do a sit up yourself. I'm not gonna help you. Once again, you will see all the time kids pushing their arms up like this. We saw just yesterday, a kid's pushing himself up like this at four or five years old. That shows the weak core, but it has nothing to do with six-pack abs or not. That's not what we're talking about. This is a brain deficiency. This is a brain deficiency. You can't get yourself up from me holding your legs like this. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they, they should be doing sit-ups every single day to get a rock-hard abdomen. What it means is that they have to get their brain reconnected. So the pull to sit and sit-ups are two of the most important and easy core things that you want to do with these kids. <clears throat> so everybody practice again. Make sure we got this in your brain, hand-eye coordination. So the pull to sit, you're gonna hold the child's hands like this and pull them up like this. And you know, Sydney's doing this good because her head's essentially coming with her body like this. But if I did this with Sydney and Sydney's head went backwards like this, that would mean that she's got a weak core and not a weak core from her tummy, a weak core from her brain, her cerebellum, and prefrontal cortex, yes? So when you say there's that disconnect between the prefrontal cortex and the cerebellum, what kind of disconnect are you talking about? Like, proprioception? Great question, what was your name? Emily. Emily asked a great question. What kind of disconnect is this? So the disconnect comes from, is what we call a diastasis. A diastasis is when there's something has happened within the brain and nerve system and now there's an upstream problem because of it. So a lot of times what we'll find is that the diastasis is in the lower part of the brain. It's in the cerebellum, it's in the brainstem. And the primary reflexes are mostly in the brainstem. So if you have a diastasis within the brainstem, now sensory input that's coming up like this into, from the spinal cord into the brainstem is not able to get through the way it's supposed to, and now you'll have upstream problems because of it. So that's what we're talking about. So it's because there's a diastasis somewhere lower part of the brain that's now affecting the upper parts of the brain. Because how does the brain work? The brain works, the, the way the brain matures is it matures from bottom up like this, but then how does it regulate itself? From top down. But imagine if you can't mature this way, if you can't mature from bottom up, 
That means that the top part isn't mature, so the prefrontal cortex isn't mature, which means there's no top bottom down regul I mean top down regulation. Make sense? Good questions. Keep them coming, that's what I want to see. So this is an example of a weak core. Now this is a very young child, so I'm just, I couldn't find a really good picture of this, so I'm just using this as an example. But this is what we're talking about, where kids will, as you're holding their legs, they will turn like this instead of coming straight up. <clears throat> All right, so now let's, let's talk about the eyes. Like I said, the first thing you should be doing with all your patients, all the kid patients that you see, is taking close-up pictures of their eyes. Take your phones, you all got cameras on your phones, right? You all got the smartphones now. Nobody's got flip phones anymore that I've seen. So we all got the smartphones, aim it at their eyes, take a picture of their eyes, and look and see what you're doing. I don't have a picture of it. <clears throat> but take a look at your baby, your baby doll, you have one. I'm looking at Sydney, and I want to see this, the white of their eyes, the square equal um, in like both middles, both insides and both outsides should be equal to be making plain and simple, right? So most baby dolls are pictured that way, so let's look at Sydney here. Yeah, so you, if you look at Sydney, you can see that the white of her eyes on the, in the inside is equal on both sides, and the white of her eyes on the outside is equal, and that's what we should see. But I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, that I take, just like yesterday, I took a picture, and there's one eye going straight, and one eye's a little bit like this. And what does the mom say, or the dad or caregiver? They're like, I never noticed that before. I never saw that. And you know what's amazing? The kid's five years old, nobody else is doing that either. They've been to doctors, they've been to pediatricians, they've been to, you know, in schools, they go into their, get their eye exam, and they say, I can see E, C, K, but that's not what we're talking about. Right, because mom's like, what, what can we do about this? We have, we're going to keep exercises. And we're going to shift to the child adjustments on, especially on the cranium, to help get the cranial nerves kind of kicking back in. And we'll show some exercises to start improving the way your child's eyes are tracked. Because if she's, or he is having a problem now at five, what's going to happen later on? What will happen later on? What will happen later on? If both eyes are facing forward, what's going to happen later on? They're going to have problems doing what? Reading. Number one is a big potential issue, right? Number one is reading. Number two is sports, right? Why does Johnny, why does the ball, like he keeps on missing the ball every time he swings? Why is that, right? These are the kind of things that, that nobody puts two and two together until we show them. And then it all makes sense. Then it all makes sense when someone says, I won't be reading issues. Excuse me, I won't be reading issues. Look at your eyes. But they're 2020. We went to the doctor, we went to the optometrist, they're 2020. So deep glasses. We're not talking about glasses. We're talking about processing. Right? Very different than glasses, right? Than needing like reading glasses like this. So the first thing we're going to do is take a picture of the eyes. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to do tracking. So let's do this. Get your little babies again. Get your Sydney's. And hold up something like this. And hold it up about an arm's length away like this. So don't put it close like this because you get cross-eyed. Hold it like this. And then you're going to say, I want you to follow this. And sometimes I use like a clicky pen. I didn't bring one, but I could use a clicky pen to get them, so some kids who are a little more distracted, you go click, 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 so they, they can kind of pay attention to it more. And you start like this, and you go like this. Four seconds out, you say, don't move your head now. 
and then four seconds the other way like this, to the other side, and then back to the middle. And what, what do you think we see over and over and over again with kids like this? What do you think we see? What was that? Well, they try to turn their head, and sometimes I couldn't do it, they sometimes I can hold their chin to prevent them from turning their head. That's number one. What else do I can see? They might look away, what do you say, Pacey? Yeah, you'll see skipping, especially you see skipping, bouncing, going up and down. Yesterday we saw the child went like this to the, to, to the right side, on the left side, everything went to the left, went down. Wow. So imagine what's happening to kids trying to read. You know, you're saying, see spot one, it's easy to read because there's one line, and what happens when you see it, like a big Dr. Seuss thing, like see spot one, you just take a picture, like this, and you translate it, see spot one. But then when you're reading Harry Potter or some kind of chapter book, or Judy B. Jones or whatever, and you're reading it, that will go across the line like this, and it goes, and then spot set it, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, and then you lose your line. This is huge. And nobody's looking at this. Nobody's looking at this. I've had, I've had people who've gone to pediatric ophthalmologists, and have all kinds of tests, you know, puff this test and this looking with this laser thing and this thing and this thing. And nobody's picked this thing. My child's got a perfect vision according to this. Well, look at his lips. Watch. I say, well, come here. Look. Watch. And you see your eyes going from the thing. See? Well, how come nobody's ever picked that up before? I had that said several times to me in the last couple of years. How come they never picked this up before? I don't know. I don't know. They're not looking at I'm looking at the simple stuff. They want to take these big complex machines, that's fine, but they, they might miss the little easy things that they can actually see. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, or as we'll talk about today, is convergence. So let's pick up our baby dolls again. Take that object like this, hold it out of shoulders width, out like this, and now we're going to bring that object to them and say, watch this object. And then stop about six inches away because otherwise you could cross that. So you go like this and you go like this. Watch that object. What do you think we see in a lot of these kids? What do we see? Well, sometimes we see the eyes going out. What else might we see? More commonly, we'll see one eye converge and one eye not converge, or we'll see one eye converge and the other eye converge at a different speed. So instead of converging, like this, the way it's supposed to, it either converges like this, like this one's going in but way slower, or it's not converging at all, so one goes in and one doesn't. Why is this important? Because you're looking at the brain. This is like doing an MRI without doing an MRI. This is like having MRIs which look at functional things. You're looking at functional things without spending all this crazy money on all these tools, right? So did anything I do cost you anything to do any of these? No. Right? So you don't need to have all this. You can spend $100,000 on your equipment and all your equipment. What? Spend as little as you can. If you're going to open up your own practice, spend as little as you can to open up. So that you can stop all that money away to pay for student loans and pay for other stuff. Don't spend a whole boatload of money you don't have to, or if you don't have it, like you're not money. We've got some you know, interns who 
parents who bought the practices for diagnosis, like, awesome, that's really great. But that wasn't my situation, right? I came from nothing, right? So when I opened up, I opened up like the littlest possible amount that I could spend to open up, open up my practice. So don't let, and don't let people tell you that they only come to see you if you have some chronic or gynecologist place. I'm telling you they see you because of you, not because of what, not because of how pretty your place looks. That's not why they're there. They're there because of you. So those are the two tests that we're going to do. So let's go over them again. So we have tracking, taking your thingy, holding their head if you, if you can. I can't do it with this setup. Um, and go like this, out like four seconds like this, and four seconds back, and then four seconds this way, and then four seconds back. And then we do convergence. We're gonna come in like this, very slowly, and watch what their eyes do, and come back out. Right? So that's, that's your core, easy core stuff, and easy uh, pupil stuff. Now, Let's go into primitive reflexes. So these are the, my six favorite primitive reflexes that we go over in my practice. Rudy Palmer, So these are the big ones. Why do we check these? Because they're the easiest. Are there more? Oh, yeah, both those. But we check these because they're the simplest. <coughs> So let's start checking them. What I usually do in, in a baby when we check your primitive reflex, how do we do it in a baby? What do we use? Our finger. We use your finger, preferably like a pinky or your index finger, and you stroke their lip like this for rooting, and you stroke their toes and watch their little toes go like this. It's so cute. We just had, the last couple weeks, we had a three-day-old and a six-day-old baby um, you know, to check. Uh, that were wellness kids because we adjusted their moms throughout the whole pregnancy. That was always cool. Uh, and we watched the little Pippin's keys and little That's So cute. Um, so, what, there's, there's nothing better than, than checking a baby, but there's even nothing better still than checking a baby who you've adjusted your entire, your entire pregnancy. Like, that is like, when they come in with that little munchkin, like, it's like, wow. There's another wow. We talk a lot of wows today. <clears throat> So, but with an older kid, you can't use your finger. Why can't you use your finger with an older kid? Why do you think? They think. They you. That's true. That's true. Haven't thought of that. That's good. But it's not a protective thing for yourself. You're not defending yourself against attack. The reason that you're but it's clever, and I'm sure it could happen. Uh, the reason you're doing this is because your hand can be seen either as a threat, God forbid if they have been abused in some way, right? So your hand can be a threat, or your hand can be something that's tingly, right? I'm gonna do right? And that'll instantly change the focus of what it is that you're trying to do, right? You're trying to elicit the reflex. So what are you going to use instead? You're going to use a reflex hammer. So I think I didn't have one more. I, I'm sorry I didn't prepare as well as I usually do for this. Do you have a reflex hammer? Oh, here I have one. Ha ha! Look at that. Hi. 
am like a good Boy Scout. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I have a reflex hammer. <clears throat> now, I usually show this to a child. And if they look a little afraid, I will tell them that this is a tickle machine. So we're going to tickle you with this thing. Now, the parent might say, oh, <clears throat> my child is very ticklish. So no matter what you, how you touch them, they're going to just kind of laugh or whatever. And my answer to that is, you shouldn't be tickly to a piece of metal, right? This, that, this might tickle someone if I did this on someone's feet or on the back. But a piece of metal on your back, a piece of metal on your foot that's cold and hard, shouldn't make a tickle response. So you're gonna use this, and you're not gonna use this part, the, the hammer part, you're gonna use this part, and you're not gonna use the point part, you're gonna use the, the, the round edge here. So take out your, if you, have, if you have a baby, take out, if you have a reflex hammer, you better. If you don't have one, just use a pen or something, or a pencil or a sharpie or whatever. And if you have any of that, just use a pen, just use your finger. And then we're going to, first we're going to do the rooting reflex, and we're gonna put the, um, the side, the side of the reflex hammer against the baby's uh, cheek like this, right by their lip, and go towards their ear. And if you're using a pen, do not do this. Look at me for a second. You're not going to use the pointy edge. Don't write on your baby. You're going to use the long edge like <laughs> Yes. You can do no graffiti on the baby's place. You will be charged if you write on your baby. So um, you can go like this. And you want to see what happens. Now what should happen in like a five-year-old, let's say, let's make people have a five-year-old who is a who is an autism diagnosis. What should happen? Nothing should happen. Once, there, once a child is six months to a year old, none of these reflexes, reflexes should be on. They should be pretty much all on by the time they're a year old, especially, uh, actually, all of them should be on, except for this, you might have a little remnant, but they should be pretty much all on. So if you have a five-year-old kid and you go like this, what might they do if they have a retained reflex? They might turn their head over or open their mouth, or they might like twitch or something. And obviously you can test both sides. Like this. <clears throat> so that's rooting reflex. For palmer reflex, <clears throat> Sydney's hands are closed, but normally you would have the, the child have open hands, and you go, I'll just do it on my own hand, you go from their palm to the bottom of their fingers like this. The palm to the bottom of their fingers like this. And once again, what should happen? What should happen? Nothing should happen. Remember, this is a five-year-old. Nothing should happen with a five-year-old. But what might happen, they won't, okay, this is important. The way a baby responds is not the way a retained reflex will respond. A baby will respond by closing their whole hand. If a, a five-year-old responds with their whole hand, that's significant. You shouldn't be a twitch like this. Fingers will twitch. You saw this yesterday with a little kid. Little finger twitching. Like, that's the opposite. The Galat reflex. <clears throat> the Galat reflex. Normally, normally, <clears throat> the Galat reflex is done by stroking from the occiput down to the uh, PSAS on each side. In an older kid, you're just going to use the reflex hammer from the bottom ribs down. 
from the bottom ribs. Once again, not using the point like this. If you're doing it this way, it's wrong. You will elicit a, a wrong response this way. It's gotta be like this. And you go across this way, the long way, like this, on both sides. Now, what should you see? What should you see in a five-year-old with this? Nothing, you are already getting it. What does a retained response look like? A little twitch, like this. Babinski. Babinski reflex, outside of the foot, right, on the lateral portion, and then go around the bottom of the toes, like this, making like a C shape. <clears throat> what should you see? Nothing. What might you see? Little twitching of the toes. Sometimes more, but usually if you can see a positive, it's going to be a little twitching of the toes. <clears throat> um, and obviously it's bilateral. 18R, this is my favorite. We call this the zombie test. Hey, Sam, would you come over here for a second? Either one of you. Either Sam. Some Sam. All right. So turn around. So this is what we do. This is called the zombie test. This is the standing ATR test. Put your hands up in front of you like this. Close your eyes. And I'm going to turn your head. Good. Thank you. You can sit down now. So that's the standing ATR test, or the zombie test, as I like calling it. <clears throat> that she did it normally. Nothing should, shouldn't move very much. Sometimes there'll be slight movement, which is in the case like some subluxation or tightness. But what do you think we'll see in a real significant case? Very significant turning like this or dropping of the hands. So these are the primitive reflexes. So what I'm going to have you guys do right now, very, very quickly, is stand up and check this on each other. Now, if you have vertigo or dizziness, whatever, don't do this to that person. If you have someone that's having vertigo issues or dizziness, that kind of But otherwise, just check it. Close your eyes, make the other person close their eyes, and turn your head and see what happens. Everybody sit back down, sit back down. And you can keep on doing it if you want to, go ahead. But I'm just keep on talking. So, uh, I was watching you guys, I didn't see any particularly positive uh, responses, which is a shame. I, just, uh, I like making people come up and show us. But uh, did anybody see something I missed? Was anybody having any kind of movement, big movements and stuff? I didn't see any, no, okay. So, <clears throat> Here's the deal, you can test these yourselves later at some later point and may find that you have some of these per reflexes and that's okay because you're in chiropractic school and you were able to get past this kind of stuff. Um, so that's totally fine. Your brains are not the same brains as the kids who are five years old coming into our practices now. The kids coming into our practices now with these kind of things, if they have positive per reflexes, if their eyes are a mess, their pores are a mess, they're a mess. 
Right? You guys have been able to get past all that kind of stuff. These guys can't. That's why what we do is so important. Because what we do gets them past these things. So yesterday, just as a perfect example, I've been seeing this little munchkin for about maybe four or five months now. Actually, a little less, actually, three or four months. And um, she's five years old, she can't walk. And uh, actually, it was Monday. Uh, the dad came in and said, watch this Dr. Ruben. And he put her down and she started taking steps. Hold, she's holding her hands, his hands, but she's taking steps. And I said, wow. And he's like, yeah, guess what he, she, uh, she said you know, last week to me. She said, daddy, I want to walk. I want to walk. And she's been going to PT and all kind of stuff for four years. And not that it's important, right? That's important stuff to strengthen the muscles and get there. And parents that are not forced to just, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. Three months before it's chiropractic, she wired differently. Right? That's like, right? Like this, it says, tell me what happened today as I drive home. And that's the first thing I'm saying. Like, play it, it's a little bit fun. Right? <laughs> and like, it's, it's amazing, right? <clears throat> so let's talk about the first visit now, because that's important. I want to know Dr. Ferguson, I want to talk about it too. Two very important things about your first visit. Number one, I don't care if they've adjusted for a thousand years or they've never adjusted before. You're going to treat them as if they've never adjusted before. And you're going to do less than you could. We have this concept that we want to do everything, like show them everything. Don't. Don't. So you find, like, I, I can just, right, you know, I have a uh, safe room, T10, T4, uh, T1, C5, C3, C1, and oxide, just all those things. I find so many all those areas. Don't do that. It's too much. And I don't care if we're talking about a a neurodivergent kid with autism, or we're talking about a four-year-old, or we're talking about a 25-year-old athlete. Don't do everything at once. Don't shock the nervous system. And you say that you pre-frame, you say, I'm not gonna do all the things I normally would do. The first that I did to know you in the beginning, I just want to see how your eye responds. Because you can't undo what you've done, right? I'd rather be like someone say to me, you do a lot more than you like way over did. Right? That's a very different conversation. Like, I really would like you to just like more things next time versus I was so I was like done as if I was in a wrestling match when I got out of the orbits. That's the last thing you want is to pound somebody, right? And here's the here's the reason why that's so important. Because if you have a true chiropractic practice, you can see them for months, if not years. You've got plenty of time. You've got plenty of time. But if you're stuck in the insurance model, if you're stuck in the model like, I got like three, four, five, six visits that I know they're gonna, insurance gonna pay for and then I have to write all these notes. I got a lot of stuff done in a little period of time. Well then you're in a rush. So when you're in a rush, you do things that aren't as good. Right, things mixed waste, right? 
that rush. I'm not rush. And I can just upset me. I don't even remember. They don't say that. Like, I understand. I get it. I get it. You want to start here and build up. That's the way we do it. And I say once in a while, if someone doesn't want that, fine, then go somewhere else. I don't care. I don't care. It's my office. I said this morning in my in, in my uh question. It's my sandbox. My sandbox, I play my rules. If you don't like my rules, there's plenty of places to go. So that's the first thing. Don't try to do everything at once. Slow down. Do less. Less is more. Webster, my hero, went to a Less is more. Number one. Number two, the single most important thing you have to do right before your first adjustment is tell them what. Very good. What's your name? Emily. Emily, good job. That's two questions you answered. Uh, so, and, and here's how, how I frame it. Number one, next to the time you feel nothing, there'll be no difference after the first adjustment. And going back to the less is more thing, that's what I'm expecting. I'm not trying to make them feel better. Because that's really not my intent. I have no intent on feeling better. That is not a goal. Or that, I may be right that I get that. But it's not a goal of mine. I don't like feeling better. I don't care what their else country score is. It's, it's unimpressive to me. I want healing, not feeling. So, number one, next percent of the time, after first judgment, nothing's going to change. So, don't expect that. 10 percent of the time, you might feel better, and I hope it's you, and that'd be great, but I have no idea. Could not tell you in any way, shape, or form if it's going to be you or not. Sometimes you might feel sore. Even with an activator, you can mostly activate. Even with an activator, just you might feel sore. But I'll tell you just in case. Now, you tell them this because it's a good idea to tell them this. <clears throat> but what do you do later that night before you leave your office? What do you do that night with those new patients with their first adjustment? You said it, what did you say? Call them. I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can do this 100%, 100% of every single patient who I give their first adjustment, I will call. And if I can't get them by call, sometimes I'll call people and they, you know, do you do that? You know, this number has not been set up for us now. Then I'll just text them. Then I'll just text them and say, hey, before I say that, what do you ask in this phone call? Emily? You can spend a lot of pressure on the phone. I bet you do. How do you do? Alright, that's a good question. Hi. That's a good question. That's not what we want to know. That's a very good, good question. It's an honest question. Now we're going to know. What do we want to ask in that first person doesn't? What they thought about it. That's better. What did you think about the experience? What did you think about the experience? Because I'm not looking for them to say, I feel better or feel worse or anything. I'm looking for them to say, I had a really good experience. Thank you for so much for explaining to me. That was really great. Yesterday, I, did, I adjusted a pregnant mama for the first time, and I called her last night. Her first birth experience, or her first birth a couple of years ago, was this huge, long, crazy, difficult birth that ended up in an emergency section. I explained to her, the first visit, I explained to her more about it yesterday when I saw her. <clears throat> and 
And she said to me last night, she said, after you and I spoke, I decided we would be back. But that's the word necessary. She said, I hope I feel like I'm the office now. Yes. Wow. Right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. It's like one of the greatest like sinking in uh, techniques that I know to, to ensure good compliance for one as the world. Because what do people do after they do that phone call? They tell everybody, my doctor told me, or my doctor messaged me. Right? Who does that? Right? You might get an automated thing like, this is a well star looking to have you make your bill. Right? That's about the kind of niceness that you get from a star, right? But you don't have like Dr. Long go up to the saying, hey, you're just trying to see what's going on your experience. Right? So that's how you handle that first visit. Is the, the, the first visit you do less, less is more, and then you make sure you tell them the three things that that are worse the same, and then you call them. And that's like the key to that first visit. So any questions? I have like a few minutes before I know we gotta go. Any questions? Yes? Are you in all cash practice? I'm in 99% cash practice. I don't accept personal injury insurance if a patient has been in arson. Otherwise, all cash. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. So, um, a, a kid who walks in a close will almost invariably have a positive missing. Almost invariably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, both my brothers have that still. Uh, have toe walking? Yeah, they walk on their toes. One of them is almost four, and one of them is uh, 12. Uh, is, there, is there anything that we should do about it or could do about it? Is it something to be concerned about? Yeah, yeah so this is a great question. Um, I did not have time to go into this, but there's exercises to do to like remediate all this kind of stuff. So I would test them, and if they are positive, I would do exercises to help remediate any of these reflexes. Yeah. And I have all these things I showed you as well as I just didn't have time to get to it. Um, take my CPA class, as we talked about this. Um, but the, uh, the, this is the critical thing is that the adjustments will help a lot, but I see that the in my ICP class, I talk about all the exercises that we do to help undo all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Did you explain the moral? I just didn't have time for it. I just, you know, I had no idea the first visit today. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. This is such an important question. I do the same exact patient exam on every kid. I don't care what's going on with them. So I start, and I literally start with these three areas, with the core, eyes, and the reflexes. I start there. Of course, we can do the spine stuff, the cranial, all kind of stuff, but we, we concentrate on, I do the same thing because this way I don't have to think about, should I do this exam with this person, this exam with this person, this exam? Everybody gets the same thing because these are the basic fundamental things that I want to look at for the brain, right? I'm not doing orthopedic tests because I'm uninterested, right? I'm doing neurologic tests because that is going to give me information. And then here's the cool thing is every 10 visits I do a re-exam and I redo those tests. 
And that's how I know we're improving, is that I watch the re-evaluations and they're improving, 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 improving. Yeah, so that's a huge thing. You know, I know in the clinic you're, you're learning about piecemeal, like for a person with an arm thing, you do these arm tests, a person with a back thing, you do these back tests. And of course you're gonna add those things when there's a, a thing to add, but you have your basic exam that everybody gets, and then there's add-ons when necessary. Very good question, yeah. Excellent, yeah. Um, so you mentioned like exercises, you have the I, okay, good question, so what's your name? Allie. Allie. So Allie asked, do we start with the print reflex exercises before we adjust them? No, I adjust them first, I give them the exercises and say, go home and start doing them. And start doing them every single day. Yeah. So, because uh, the, the exercises aren't the thing that helps, it's the exercises and the adjustments. That combination is what connects those disconnected kids. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, just a final note, uh, two things. Number one is um, I have a real fun podcast, if you like podcasts. I just put on my 470th episode. I publish them every Tuesday. So it's called Chirocast, Chirocast. So if you want to check it out, it's totally free. And I've just been doing it because I love it. Um, I can't help myself. Um, and that's number one. And number two, I always ask this in ICPA, I'm always looking for great P students. So anybody's interested in peak, we're looking, we're looking to fill spaces for spring quarter 2023 and on. And we have a whole long training process before we actually get into peak. So anybody's interested, please let me know. Send an email to dbrubinlife.edu. Thank you guys. Have a great day.